You're listening to the Eurofolk Radio Network, and this is the Andrew Carrington Hitchcock Show with your host, Andrew Carrington Hitchcock. Hello, everyone. I'm very pleased to have joining me today Mike King of the website, as I would say, tomatobubble.com, but he may say tomatobubble.com. Mike, are you with me? Yes, Andrew. Good, good morning. Thank you for having me on your show today. Well, thank you for taking the time out to, to do the show. You've got you've done fantastic work. I mean, I've done a couple of books. You've done many more than that. Uh, you do all your different articles, etc. Um, and I mean, there's so much more uh, for you to talk about on on that subject. So, can we start off with with uh, your background and just go into as little or as much detail as as you would like? And when you've um, uh, told the listeners about that, then we can take a little tour around your website, and you can. Um, we can click through it together to highlight to the listeners certain areas that you would recommend and, and also where people get your books, etc. So I'll hand over to you now. Okay. Uh, well, I'm a, a private investigative journalist and researcher. I consider myself an uh, autodictat, totally self-educated, self-taught, uh, which is the best, uh, the best t- type of education, I believe. I attended Rutgers University in... Uh, New Jersey, graduated in 87. My background was in marketing and advertising. I had a 30-year career in that field. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, did some time in New York City. And, um, you know, I, I, I always say my background equips me with a unique perspective when it comes to understanding how public opinion, quote-unquote, is scientifically manufactured. Uh, so, uh, uh, I think that background helped me prepare me for the research because, you know, once you're steeped in the basic principles of advertising, uh, I, I think you're well equipped to recognize, uh, how you say in Britain, uh, bullocks when you see it in the press. Yeah, bollocks. <laughs> bollocks. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that's, that's essentially, um, what, what I do is, is, uh, well, a big part of what my website, tomatobubble.com is all about is dissecting current events and also false historical uh, narratives and literally dissecting and debunking them. And, and, and uh, you know, once, once you get into this, you find that pretty much everything we're fed, whether it's the current news or in our history books or in matters pertaining to uh, economics or, or, or philosophy, in some cases even science, what have you, I mean, so much of it is an illusion. And uh, my mission is to shatter the the illusion. And that's what I do with tomatobubble.com, uh, which I call the mind-altering internet classics of alternative history, economics, philosophy, and current events. And, and my niche, Andrew, is, is really, I mean, it, it's, I have a unique approach to my work that people find very uh, appealing in that I, I don't use a whole lot of uh, unnecessary verbiage, and I rely heavily on images and illustration. It's not dumbed down but in any respect, but it is presented in a very simple-to-understand manner. It's ideal for somebody who needs to come up the learning curve quickly and understand things, but doesn't have the time nor the inclination to grapple with a thousand-page tune. I mean, I get right to the point, whether it's my books or my articles, and I also inject quite a bit of humor, much of it, you know, sarcasm, uh, mocking the conventional wisdom. Uh, so it's, it, it's very lighthearted and reading at times, but it's, it's entertaining 
highly informative. Uh, you know, I, I think your, your listeners spent some time there to see you know, that the approach is very unique, and I've been successful with it. People, uh, you know, they, they like the presentation style because I strike that perfect balance, I believe, between being simple without being simplistic in the analysis. And that's, that is the, uh, the essence of what tomatobubble.com is all about. Yeah, that, that's absolutely brilliant. And I mean, that's the style that I, you know, not with the images and, and such, but when I put the Synagogue of Satan together, I was trying to get the most amount of information out in the least amount of words possible uh, and make it like a compendium of, of uh, you know, what's really gone on in the world. I mean, what you touched on, pretty much anything that you look at, you will find that the official narrative is false. And that draws me to the... Um, you know, the William Casey, director of the CIA, that famous quote when he said, we'll know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. Yes, indeed. And and we arrived there. I mean, we've been heading in that direction steadily. But I, I think with the, uh, I mean, I would say with the attacks of 9-11, it really finalized it. I mean, we really, everything is false. There's little bit of truth that gets out there on the internet but uh, uh, all all, it, all of the narratives I mean it's not even a question of being embellished or some omissions I mean it's it's pure Orwellian type uh, fantasy uh, I can't even bear to watch the nightly news for more than five minutes uh, you know lest I'll throw something at the telly but that's uh, I mean that's that's how bad it, it's become it's it's uh, 100% fakery night and day coming out of the news media and academia and the book publishing world. Uh, we're just steeped in it. And we do our best to uh, light a candle in the darkness. That's all we can do and hope that one day it might ignite. I absolutely agree. I mean, this is really the only option. And um, I've had this discussion before, actually, with Dave Gahari on the American Free Press shows that I do. And sometimes I do get a bit low about it and I just think you know why am I making this effort because nothing seems to change but as he said on the show you you, you will continue to make the effort it's just in your nature and, and like yourself you know yes. you do it because it's the only decent way to live uh, and if it's something that you can do and people listen to you or they read what you what you put together then that's really your your greatest strategy is using the talents that you've got to get the message out of true history to people and uh, I admire your style in as I say keeping it simple there's no point I mean funny enough another thing that I did is when I um, put my books together the only dictionary that I would refer to was one of the little like a they call it you know the pocket dictionaries the, the really sort of small right. thick pocket dictionaries because you know I didn't want to be putting words in that that might not be accessible. It was really for the man on the street, so someone that could read would be able to understand it. And I've read other people, and and I can read. Obviously, a lot of my sources are, are, are you know, a, a lot more wordy, and I can see the way that they write. They've got real skills with language, and it's good. But the time is so late that people need to be able to see the information in the simplest way possible. They haven't got time to read all these wordy things. You've got to get to the point and uh, hope that they. Uh, that inspires them to to make their own contribution to this fight that we're involved in against this um, you know Jewish elite that seems to be trying to 
literally destroy every facet of society that we live in, starting off obviously with control of the banking system, but we know all the wars that they've been behind that you know you've done a lot of work on world war two um and uh, i mean so much so much and 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 then on top of that we've got this ridiculous situation now where they're just literally trying to you know corrupt our culture to the point that we're actually engaging in debate over whether people should of the, an opposite sex should use the other bathroom because they think that they're of that sex i mean it's it's just yeah. it's madness it's insanity it's like we it's, yeah it's it's the normalization of insanity yeah uh, but they know they know what they're doing, and, and, and you know one of the things that frustrates me so much is when people who are ostensibly on our side, you know, cr- critique these matters. You know, they they never look above the the cloud line. I mean, you you put this this issue of the trannies now, for example. Um, it, it's it's they they're directing their wrath towards the the trannies who represent only one percent of one percent of the population. Yeah. It's it's not coming from them. I mean, common sense would dictate to you. Uh, the same with all of the uh, violence that this minority of radical Negroes in America are stirring up, this Black Lives Matter movement, which, again, is only a percent of a percent of the general population. It's only a percent of a percent of the Negro population. And yet, you look at all of the attention and uh, uh, you look at how they're allowed to shut down highways and so on, it's uh, it's a, it's a, it is a big error tactically and logically to, to focus one's attention just on those insignificant few. Uh, again, it's it's the hand, the, that invisible Zionist Jewish hand above the clouds that gives these tiny minorities that that power, and it's just pointless if you're going to fight this thing. Yeah, you have to look up, not at these small minorities here who ultimately have no power. Yeah, and I mean, that, that, that draws me to North Carolina. I mean, and, and you look at the fact that the people in the state don't want all this nonsense, and so the state take a stand against it. And then um, it's these uh, Jewish companies like PayPal and Deutsche Bank, oh, we're, we're going to pull out of North Carolina, we're not having this. And at the same time, these elites, they, they push the idea that we have democracy, which basically means that the will of the masses is what we will follow. Well, you see that the masses there don't want all this to happen, and so they ex- exert economic pressure, which is exactly the same as the Jews did in World War Two against Hitler when uh, the famous headline, Judea declares war on Germany from the uh, United Kingdom's Daily Express paper. And, and, you know, the clue is in the methods that they use, and that shows you exactly who is behind it. And it's always this Jewish group that seem hell-bent on destroying white society. Yeah, I mean, it all, it's, it's always, virtually always. I mean, there's a line in Mein Kampf, uh, Hitler writes about... Uh, you know, we, we turn on the lights and we probe the abscess. There's always a little Jew uh, doing his work, stunned by the sudden light. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it's, I mean that's exactly the case. You, you go to the the invasion of Europe that is taking place now. Uh, again, you peel that back, and and lo and behold, look who is at the forefront uh, of that. The the immorality, the banking, the wars. It's all roads lead to that that mafia that that jewish mafia uh, at the core of which is the house of rothschild uh, and 
perhaps my most popular book is Planet Rothschild, Volume 1 and Volume 2. And I trace this back 250 years, and it's just amazing. You see the same trends in effect today that were beginning to be promoted as early as the French Revolution. And this whole idea of the intense centralization of economic power in the hands of the state, uh, the destruction of the family, the mixing of the races. I mean, this has been uh, a process that spans at least the last two centuries. And to, you know, today we're seeing its its culmination. Uh, but people don't understand. I mean, they, I mean, many more and more people are seeing what's wrong and they're alarmed by it. But because they don't have the history behind it, they they don't see it as the unfolding of a deliberate long range plan. They just see it as current events run amok. But it, it's not that. And that's why my site is so heavily focused on matters of uh, history. At least 50, 60% of the site uh, pertains to history. And a large chunk of that, as you pointed out earlier, consists of my writings on World War II. And if you go to tomatobubble.com, you'll see on one of the tabs on the left, the bad war. Yeah. Uh, out of all my babies, I call this my favorite. Uh, but it's entitled The Bad War, The Real History of World War II That You Were Never Told. It's available in paperback via Amazon, also in Europe, uh, and Kindle. And then if people want a PDF version, they can get that through my site. Uh, 90% of my site's contact uh, content is free. Uh, but you know, there are some of the bigger items that I, you know, I ask a small fee for. That's how I, I am able to make a living and still produce. But the bad war is so critical, and a proper understanding of World War II is so critical if you're going to understand what's going on today, because that is the pivotal moment. And Hitler himself said during a speech, during the height of the war, he says the outcome of this war will determine history for the next 1,000 years. And I mean, he wasn't kidding. And, And this bad, bad world that we see unfolding today before our eyes uh, you know, this is all linear dis- descent, descent of from World War Two and its aftermath. And w- once people understand that, I mean, it just elucidates everything that's going on today. I mean, I'll give you an example. If you look at this buildup, this this bellicose rhetoric, and it, forget the rhetoric. I mean, the actual military buildup that NATO is establishing along. Russian and Chinese frontiers and the provocation and, and, and the lies and the slander, it is identical to what went on throughout the 1930s, starting from that very day that you mentioned, that newspaper headline, Judea declares war uh, on Germany. Um, I mean, I have that in my book. I've also found an old headline from the New York Daily News, same day. It said 40,000 protest Hitler at Madison Square Garden. 40,000 Jews in Madison Square Garden, and this is in early 1933, when they're already beginning the agitation. This is six, seven years before the actual shooting started. Uh, But now we're seeing that same buildup. It's not as intense, because, I mean, nobody was hated as much as Hitler, because he was so effective. Uh, But nonetheless, we see the identical propaganda buildup towards Russia and towards China, they're being condemned as the aggressors when, when they're not. And I feel at some point 
either Russia and China or both of them are going to have to push back. I mean, how many times could the United States uh, sail their destroyers in, in Chinese waters before there's an incident? Uh, how much buildup is Russia going to tolerate in places like Poland and, and Lithuania and Romania and Georgia uh, before they decide they have to make a move? Uh, and that's what happened with World War II. When Hitler and then later on Japan were forced into action, it was presented in the Western press as, aha, we told you they were dangerous, you see? So that's what I mean. It's so important to understand these tactics as they play out through history because it's uh, – you know, it's, it's going on now, and it's very dangerous. Yeah, and I've bought the book up here on Amazon, and um, it's very reasonably priced, nine thirty two on the Kindle, um, and it's only seventeen fifty four on the paperback. And the description says 245 pages, 500 illustrations during the 75 years that have now passed since the end of the grand history-altering event known as World War Two, only a single narrative of the great conflict has been heard. It is a story which the architects of the New World Order have implanted, no, pounded, into the minds of three subsequent generations. Every medium of mass indoctrination has been harnessed to the task of tra training the obedient masses as to what the proper view of this event should be. Academia, news media, public education, book publishing, TV documentaries, Hollywood films, clergymen and politicians of every stripe all sing the same song. You know the familiar lyrics, led by Adolf Hitler, Germany, Italy and Japan tried to enslave the planet. The good guys of the world community, led, led by Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Winston Churchill, banded together and stopped them. Literally not a day seems to pass without some sort of media reference to this incomplete and simplistic narrative, a story which also conveniently ignores the previous decades of critical history leading up to World War II and its vital information from the actual war years and outright fabricates lie after lie after lie. Indeed, the official story amounts to a manufactured mendacity of such mountainous dimensions that the human mind will have a hard time processing the actual truth of the grand event, no matter how compelling the case may be. Isn't it time you heard a different tune, at least for your consideration? Haven't you ever, have, haven't you ever at least been curious as to what the other side of the World War, World War Two story was? If so, you ought to have a look at the Bad War, a heavily illustrated epic timeline that will transport you back to the mid 1800s and then lead you on an exciting you are there journey right up through both World War One and World War Two, well-written, entertaining and meticulously documented, the Bad War is unique for its ability to condense so much real history into just 245 attention-riveting, illustration-rich pages. But do be forewarned, your worldview may never be the same. So that sounds excellent, uh, Mike, and um, I wanted to read that description out to give uh, the listeners a real overview of the book. Uh, is there anywhere else on the site that you want to take us? Well, uh, you'll see on the, on the very front page, the home page, it pretty much uh, summarizes the main elements of the site. There's a uh, near the top of the page, a little bit down, you'll see a link to recent updates, yep. and that's probably the most uh, uh, visited portion of my site. That is where I uh, oh, I was I publish maybe three to four pieces per week. Uh, and then I leave them up there 
indefinitely, so it, it forms its own archive. And these can vary from any topic. Uh, you know, maybe half of them deal with current events; the other ones are with history or economics. And again, it's always that same <clears throat> uh, that same fingerprint of mine that, that's very recognizable: the uh, the illustrations, uh, the economy of words, and uh, uh, lots of humor. You know, people have asked me if I was a comedy writer, and, and, and no, but I just, uh, you know, when when I confronted with stupidity and lies, the the mockery just flows from me naturally. It's I guess it's a New York thing, but you'll find a lot of that in my work, and it's uh, I, I think it's important with these dark topics to have a little bit of, uh, you know, that comic relief that Shakespeare was known for. So there's a lot of humor in my work, but the updates page people should definitely check out. Uh, also, uh, you'll see on any of the pages, including the front page, uh, there's a, uh, I offer a free report. It's called How to Respond to an Anti-Conspiracy Theorist. And it's, uh, it's just a set of rebuttals to the, you know, the usual nonsense that people throw at you about, you know, I don't believe in conspiracies, so on. But it also gets you on my free mailing list. I, I send these, I link my updates. I send them out three to four times per week. So at the very least, people should sign up for that. They'll see that box for the free report and free updates. It's all over my site. Uh, what else? Uh, I also have on the front page links to the Amazon pages for all of my uh, PDF books that I publish. Well, they're in PDF, but they're also in paperback. We spoke about the bad war. There's Mind Side of the Story, which is a collection of World War II speeches from Adolf Hitler. Uh, also, there's a few communiques from the German Foreign Ministry and even one from the Emperor of Japan. And, you know, there's very little on my part that I did in this book. There's minimal commentary and an introduction. I added some pictures. Uh, mainly, it's Hitler in his own words. And... I just present that, and I get out of the way, and, and, and I let him do this talking for him. And what people will find, you read his speeches, there's that ring of truth to his version of events in, in World War II. And then, of course, if someone wants to verify them independently, I recommend the bad war as a companion to that. Uh, there's the war against Putin, where I dissect all of this uh, uh, nonsense that we're hearing about the Russian threat. Uh, the, I have a book on the Roosevelt's, the real Roosevelt's, uh, killing America, a hundred year murder. Was that, uh, uh, got, sorry to jump in, uh, Mike, the Roosevelt's, did you find the connection to Rosenfeld? I'm sorry, I'm, uh, so, that? uh, with the Roosevelt's, did you, uh, have any connection to, uh, people say the original name was Rosenfeld, a Jewish family? You know, I, I've heard that a lot and, uh, you know, I haven't been able to like confirm it, but it, it, it certainly makes sense. I mean, Dutch, Roosevelt, Dutch, if you, could, if you translated it to German, it would be Rosenfeld. So it, uh, it, it is a, a name that could very well be of Jewish origin. Excellent. Yes, yeah, sorry to jump in there. I just wanted to ask you that question. Sure. If you continue, continue um, going through your books. They are, they are the darlings of the American Jewish community. They always have been. Yeah. And you read the real Roosevelt, you'll understand why. Uh, uh, it was Theodore Roosevelt laid the groundwork for the establishment of the Federal Reserve, uh, even though that happened under the reign of Woodrow Wilson. It was Theodore Roosevelt uh, set the pieces in place years earlier. And then Franklin, of course, gave us World War 
to uh, Eleanor was a communist and a lesbian. Uh, I mean, it's a real uh, freak show, and you'll find people will learn things about these Roosevelts, uh, both on their political side and their private life, which is uh, uh, surprise you, give you an insight to what uh, degenerates these people really were. Uh, Planet Rothschild is my uh, uh, you know, largest work. I guess you could call that my magnus opus, volume one and volume two, about 300 pages each. It is the history of the New World Order. I begin this story in the uh, 1760s, take this up all the way till today. And the amazing thing about Planet Rothschild is as you go through these last 25 decades or so, uh, I, d- I demonstrate decade by decade by decade the common link, the common thread. And you just see the similarities going back to the French Revolution till, till today. And that same family is always there. I mean, they're still very active and very powerful, you know, although there are other families involved in this thing. But that's uh, Planet Rothschild, the Forbidden History of the New World Order. Uh, I have a book on Napoleon versus the Old and the New World Orders. Napoleon, in many respects, was the Hitler of his day. And, of course, I mean that in a complimentary form. <laughs> yeah. uh, <clears throat> oh, Banco Rata, that one I highly, highly recommend to anybody who wants to really get their their mind around this uh, monetary policy central banking uh, business. You know, a lot of people understand, uh, a lot of people on our side in our community, they understand that the central banking in the Federal Reserve in America is, is, is a big fraud. But it's a bit hard to define. Even some of the... Uh, the good economists that I admire who write the truth tend to complicate things too much. Bankarata makes it so simple. People will be amazed at how easy economics and monetary policy really is. And I write that in the form of an allegory of, of a medieval moneylender who shows up in a medieval Italian town and starts lending money out of thin air and then creates a panic and a crisis and they have to kick him out. Then he ends up in a German town. So it's very funny, but it, 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 it understands, it, it explains the scam. Uh, and then my latest release is the British Mad Dog, debunking the with the, the myth of Winston Churchill. And uh, we can it get was into really that. shocking what I discovered because I, I knew the World War II aspect of Winston Churchill very well. What I was a little bit shaky on was, um, his early life and then through World War One, and the things I discovered about the man surprised even me. Uh, just just an absolute scoundrel who uh, destroyed your country and indeed laid the groundwork for the destruction of Europe and the race altogether. Yeah, let's go through that one because that's your most recent work. And um, But before we do, um, when I did The Synagogue of Satan, one thing that really struck me that was very difficult to find information on is uh, these first-generation uh, Rothschilds, all those sons, there was also, I think, five five daughters. And you never hear anything about where they went. And I firmly believe that, uh, you know, all these Bushes and families like this are probably, you know, related to those. Uh, we, we know that information came out that the Bush family was Jewish. And there was that uh, photograph that Tex Mars published years ago of... Uh, Baby Bush going off, uh, W. Bush going off with his Talmud for training and he, his, um, 
His press secretary, Ari Fleischer, was uh, a, a rabbi as well. Um, so have you ever found anything about these, um, uh, the, the Rothschild uh, daughters, you know? Uh, you know, I, I can't speak for the original uh, daughters, the, the, the sisters of those five sons. Yeah. I, I do know that there were subsequent Rothschild women who intermarried yeah, with British they, uh, yeah. and Brits, and as well as other very wealthy. So this practice was common. It's almost as if, uh, you know, they're willing to uh, sacrifice a few of their own to make these alliances. Uh, I, I it's much the same way in which the, the royal dynasties, dynasties of Europe used to marry amongst themselves in order to solidify the relationship between countries. Uh, they appear to have done the same thing. And, and in the Churchill book, what, one of the things I write about is, is Churchill bet his wife, uh, Clementine, met her at a big ball that was thrown at, uh, that was thrown by uh, one of the Rothschild women. She was married to I don't know, I don't recall now, I think it was a duke or something, uh, but they threw a big party. She's, she liked to throw parties, uh, this Rothschild woman, and that's when Churchill, Churchill was invited, and his wife was invited, that's where they met. Um, so that, you know, that kind of tells you uh, a little bit about Churchill, uh, who his benefactors were early on. But yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that intermarrying. And you see it here in America. Uh, the great-grandson of Jacob Schiff, who's probably the most powerful American Jew in history, uh, <clears throat> married the daughter of Al Gore a few years back. Um, Chelsea Clinton, the daughter of Bill and Hillary Clinton, is married to um, uh, Medvinsky, big big shot Jewish hedge fund family, billionaires, billionaires. So, you know what this what this does is, I mean, you know, when you have that degree of intermarriage amongst the elites, you're essentially uh, Judaizing the elite class, and, and that's that's what's happened in America and Europe. Today, I mean, these behaviors and these attitudes uh, seem to have been injected into elite classes, corrupted them, and, and now it's working its way down. Uh, but yes, to your general question, there's there's been a lot of uh, intermarriage because they understand that if they totally isolate themselves, I mean, at the core of Judaism, of course, they frown on that because if you have too much of that, assimilation begins to take place, and you could actually lose your people through assimilation. But at the same time, you know, a little, a little bit of it is beneficial for them. So, uh, yeah, that's that's always been the case. Yeah, and I mean, it's. I, I'm trying to think uh, where where I got that information from on these, um, you know, five sis, these five or six sisters of the five brothers. I'm pre I'm thinking it might have been Fritz Springmeier, Bloodlines of the Illuminati, but I can't be a hundred percent sure. Maybe uh one of our listeners can email me in Andrew Carrington Hitchcock at hotmail dot com with that information, uh, as I no longer have that book. But uh yeah, I agree with you. I mean we've got it all through the eighteen hundreds that you had uh yeah, I'd have to look up the exact Rothschilds but I've got them in my book and yeah, we're marrying their nieces and it was just um over half of the marriages were between relations and uh, and things like that. Um, and it's just staggering because, of course, all this interbreeding ca causes insanity. But I've always had that big question mark, and I'm 
you know, it's interesting that we've not been able to uncover these where these five daughters went. And I honestly feel that, you know, history is going to reveal itself in the future. I always say the information that you get, uh, well, the, the information I've got, and I'm sure the, the information that you get, it's you, you've researched it and you found it. And so the fact is, is that all the information that you can put together, which is a slam dunk on we're being told a completely different version of history than is actually the truth. If you can find that information, what is actually going on that they're not telling us about? Exactly. And, imagine, and mind you, we live in a day and age today where absolutely nothing, well, virtually nothing, can be totally hidden. Someone is going to find out everything, just like we, the riddle of 9-11 was, was solved almost instantly. You know, um, but that's only possible because of the Internet, really, and the access to information that it gives you. So you imagine going back 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years, how much of this stuff was just disappeared into the, the memory hole. And then when you go back 100, 200 years, we can't even begin to imagine the things that happened that we can never even find out. So uh, now it was interesting. You, you mentioned these five daughters, and I, and I just took a look at the, the Wikipedia article on Mayor Amshel Rothschild, the original uh, godfather who started it all. Yeah. And it lists the ten children. And the five boys are linked. To, they have their own Wikipedia entries. The five girls are not. Yeah. So. Well, they, they went who, somewhere. Did, this is my point. They went somewhere. They married. They have. I, I mean, if uh, even if say four of the five married, let's say they each had two or three kids. Uh, exactly. So, uh, I mean, they they used to have so many kids. The Rothschilds and their kids used to have so many kids. They essentially became their own race within a race. Uh, so there's no telling where these these linkages go. You have that kind of money. I uh, I think we can safely infer that many of the Rothschild daughters and granddaughters and great granddaughters uh, married into the British elite. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and 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 this is this is why I bring this up because you know it's not speculative, folks, to think that you know when you've got uh, these different um, groups you know, like the Bushes and all these other different money families that don't claim to have any sort of Jewish heritage. Um, where did these girls go? Do you honestly think that they didn't get any of the money, that they weren't looked after at all when, you know, the first Rothschild was worth, you know, controlled over half the wealth of the world um, down through the lines? Uh, as Eustace Mullins said, I think in the late 1800s, they'd already got control of over half the wealth of the world. Um, so... These daughters would have been provided for, and he said it quite clearly in, in his will that basically uh, they had to intermarry and they weren't allowed to involve outsiders in the family business and what have you. So he put that emphasis on family. So you can bet your bottom dollar that you know these daughters were sent off to other moneyed families who spawned other moneyed families. And I honestly feel that when you know the truth is revealed, we will find that pretty much all wealth uh, in the hands of uh, families today can all go back to that Rothschild. I think they're all linked. I mean, the ship, uh, shift that you mentioned, of course, you know, he, he, he grew up in the Rothschild house. They, they shared the house, didn't they, the shifts and the Rothschilds? Right. Yeah. Um, and so they're linked. We just had uh, Zach Goldsmith running for 
London Mayor. Now, Sir James Goldsmith is uh, from the Rothschild family. And then his his uh, daughter was Princess Diana because he had an affair with Francis Shand Kidd. And if people look up a picture of Zach Goldsmith when he was younger and look up a picture of Prince William, they look like twins. And, of course, Prince William is his nephew. Um, but they've obviously taken those looks down with them. And... It's and then uh, Prince William marries a a woman who ends up uh, her mother's maiden name was Goldsmith, and it's oh no but no, but that's not Jewish. It was they were just called Goldsmith, but they're not Jewish. I mean, uh, it's, yeah. so not only is it a Jewish name, but it's the same name as uh, her mother's father. I mean, it, it's amazing what these people do. It really is astonishing, and they just think that we're all complete idiots and we'll never put two and two together. So. Um, what would you like to discuss now, Mike? Oh, just before you, I, I want to point out to people that you tend to write under the name of M.S. King. Is that correct? On uh, the books, yeah, at the, at the yeah. Amazon. So if someone wants to find my Amazon page, it would be M.S. King. Yeah. And then on uh, you know, the website, everything's written under Mike King. I just, yeah. uh, I, just I don't know why, to... I just use the initials for the books. I guess it lends me an air of uh, importance. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I just wanted to point that out in case people were looking up Mike King so they can know to look that up if they're going directly onto Amazon. But, of course, it's all linked to your site, so the best place to start is tomatobubble.com. I mean, I, I ended up using the Carrington in my name simply because uh, I wanted my own .com name and Andrew Hitchcock had gone, andrewhitchcock.com, and I knew there's probably – I can probably say uh, uh, with some confidence that there's probably nobody – called Andrew Carrington Hitchcock, apart from me on the planet, because uh, that's quite a strange middle name. But, um, yeah, so, uh, okay, where would you like to take us now? Is there any anything else you want to discuss? Oh, so much to discuss. Uh, but I, I, I guess I would wrap up by uh, maybe calling attention to uh, the, the, the current dangers facing us. I mean, the stuff yeah. that is uh, imminent. Uh, this invasion of, of, of Europe um, by 80% males from the third world. 80% of them are males between ages 18 and 30. So these aren't people who are uh, you know, incapable of taking care of themselves. Uh, they throw a few women and children in there just to tug on our heartstrings. Uh, but I believe they're being brought in ultimately to, to mate with the, uh, the white women of uh, yes. Europe. Uh, to to rape and and in uh, not just rape but also to uh, establish relations with because they're giving these guys money, they're giving them the security of housing, a little bit of money. Uh, here in America, they're already giving them preference jobs programs. So I can envision a time in the very near future where these men are suitable marriage prospects simply because they have what so many young European men will not be able to achieve. Uh, that, that is the ability to earn a few bucks and be financially independent. Uh, I, I, that's how bad and sickening it's become. So they might they might uh, give enough money to these men where they become viable uh, mates in their own right without even having to rape. And, and that is and that is the goal is just to just to wipe out that European genome. So that is an imminent, clear and imminent danger. It's intensifying, and there's no sign of it ending. Uh, of most concern, <clears throat> and this is something that you know a lot of people are missing, they, even though it's not completely hidden in, in the media. But uh, 
you know, we're very, we're, we're closer to a world war with Russia and China today than any time we were during the Cold War. That's, that's, that's a fact. I mean, never during the Cold War was the situation this, this bad. They, you know, our presidents used to at least talk to the Soviet leaders. I mean, that's not even happening today. And, uh, there is this drive to, you know, beat down Russia and China because they're, you know, they're, they're, they're resisting the takeover of their countries by this new world order mafia. So this is, uh, could be a very dangerous, uh, development. And I believe because Donald Trump has stated that he, he wants to avoid World War III and he wants to establish good relations with, uh, with Putin of Russia, uh, I believe that he, if he continues on this trajectory, he's, he's currently leading in the polls in America, uh, they're not going to allow him to become president and, and uh, throw a monkey wrench into their plans for World War III. I, there is a, a chance that Obama may start something with Russia and or China maybe later this year, but it's, it's very dangerous. Not a day goes by where you don't read about some incident that's been happening or the buildup of American uh, forces and equipment along the borders of Russia and, and China. So if something like that ignites, uh, you know, there's just no telling the type of chaos that the world could be plunged uh, into. And of course, then, so, yeah, I've, been, I've been writing a lot about this topic and keeping an eye on it. Yeah, and Obama then, of course, could hang on to the presidency. So if there was a a worry that, you know, Trump is really going to do what he says he's going to do, then they get a war going and Obama can just declare martial law and hang on to the presidency as long as he likes. Yeah, well, that's what Franklin Roosevelt did. Yeah. Uh, And Obama might, he might even be able to do it without martial law because of what I firmly believe was the murder of a, a United States Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia a few yeah. months back. Uh, so if he attempts something like this and then it gets challenged in the court, uh, it's a 4-4, which would not overthrow uh, any attempt for him to, uh, to run for a third term. And, you know, this begins to explain. I, I, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know how closely you follow American media and politics, but lately, Hillary Clinton has been taking a, a beating. Yeah, uh, in, uh, in this very same press that built built them up. And did you and hear that? That that I, that. Sorry, sorry, Mike. That um, I only heard it the other day about a thirteen minute YouTube, and it's an audio. I just heard the audio. I haven't seen it, but it's just her making statements that are so contradictory, just constantly, yeah. and that's come out. Uh, and it's just it amazes me how she got anyone to back her i mean you know if if you were trying if if you were an investor and you were trying to get a democrat elected for your own nefarious means why on earth would you back someone that's got everything on tape showing that they they're for one thing one minute and then they've changed their mind and now they come out and deny that they've changed their mind when both have been recorded and it can be proven that they have uh, i mean you just wouldn't do that because it's bad goods you you'd be wasting your money but they're so arrogant now they are so yes. arrogant that they think it doesn't matter. It's like she said about Benghazi. Oh, it doesn't matter. I mean, and what a thing to say. But they are insane. And they've got to a stage, I think, you know, we've got these 
we've got gay marriage in, we've got transgenderism, uh, we can do what we like. The, the, the people are doing nothing to stop us, so we can do what we like. Let's just lie openly. I honestly think, Mike, that they enjoy doing it. They get some sort of kick out of just seeing how badly they can treat us and get no reaction to it. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely believe that. I, I think there's a psychotic element to it. Uh, in much the same way, church, I, I, I talked in my book about church and how I, I believe he actually enjoyed killing people. Yeah. It gave him some sort of psychosexual thrill. Uh, so, yes, they, they do love throwing this stuff uh, in our face. Um, but it, it's also known that Obama detests Hillary. The Obamas hate the Clintons. So he may engineer her downfall and then present himself at the 11th hour as uh, you know the only viable candidate for the Democrats. Uh, I mean, I don't know. He's proven already he's capable of anything. Uh, well, yeah, they all do that. I mean, you know, you look at – the weird thing is, is you always think it can't get worse. The next one can't get worse, and they always do. Uh, you know, if you if you take it from, you know – George Herbert Walker Bush, and I still firmly believe that he was a three-term president because I think he pretty much controlled Reagan's presidency because Reagan was, you know, a bit of a bumbling fool. Yeah. And I think well, a lot certainly of certainly after they put that bullet in Reagan, exactly. It, yeah. there was even articles at that time talking about how, uh, you know, a more moderate Reagan emerged. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I think you know, and, and of course it was, uh, wasn't Bush having. Uh, having breakfast that morning with uh, the assassin's parents or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, John Hinckley was his brother. Yeah, there was, uh, so there, I mean, there's, there's deep connections between the Bushes and the Hinckleys. Um, you know, you saw this with the, when Rockefeller was vice president, within a span of one week, there were two assassination attempts on Gerald Ford. Yeah. And the bullets just missed. Uh uh, we came very close to Nelson Rockefeller being the actual president of the United States. And, of course, he would have been completely unelected because, you know, Ford was the um, – was was it, he, he, was, he was the VP to Nixon, is that correct? And he took over – oh, my – yeah, That was a whole – that was a double coup. I mean, you had yeah, Nixon who was uh, – uh, I mean, he was not as bad as people say, and he was, uh, you know, private conversations reveal the antipath- antipathy he held towards the, uh, the Jews. Uh, but you had Nixon, and then you had an excellent vice president. Spiro Agnew. Yeah, so, so did Ford, so because Agnew resigned first, didn't he? So did Ford replace Agnew? Yes, Ag- so, Agnew was taken out with a so-called scandal. It was nonsense. Yeah. So, so and, Ford and they, was They were never... able to impose Ford upon Nixon. And then they took down Nixon, which bumped Ford, one of the cover-up artists of the Kennedy assassination. They bumped Ford up to the top spot, and then they imposed uh, the the, the Democrat Congress uh, forced Nelson – excuse me. The Democrat Congress forced Ford onto Nixon, and then they supported Rockefeller to to then become the vice president to uh, Ford. Yeah. And then then came the two assassination attempts. So it, it looked like a long, drawn-out coup, but these bullets missed. And then when Ford ran for re-election, he dropped Rockefeller from the ticket. It's <laughs> smart man. <laughs> uh, of course, he lost when he, uh, when he, when he ran. But uh, that's the story of how they, uh, they almost in- installed Nelson Rockefeller to that position that he wanted so badly 
he would never have been able to have won on his own because uh, most Republicans couldn't stand the Eastern Republicans, you know. Yeah. So that just shows how they work it, because my point was, was obviously when Nixon originally got in there, people had voted, because when you vote in American elections, you're not just voting for the president, you've got to like their VP as well, and especially uh, Americans, because they've had to have so many VPs as presidents, because so many of their presidents have been assassinated by the Jews, so they want to make sure that the VP's okay. Uh, I think it was, it was some comedian who... Um, uh, I forget who it was, but he made some joke about how if some uh, guy ran with a black VP, then that guy would be so scared that the blacks will try and take him out at any point so they get a black president. Of course, now we've got a black president. I think it might have been someone like Richard Pryor or something like that. It was quite a few years ago. Um, and, so the joke, uh, and so the joke is is that you've had so many vice presidents in America become presidents. And essentially, you know, you could argue that they're unelected because... Um, uh, they might have run on a vice presidential ticket, and so there's always that possibility. But when you've got vice presidents becoming presidents that were never even on a VP ticket, uh, that to me surely should mean, you know, an immediate election uh, rather than allowing someone that didn't even run as the VP either, but got him because the VP resigned uh, to suddenly become president. They, that would make them an unelected president to me. Yeah, well, that's how we got stuck with Theodore Roosevelt. He was imposed on McKinley in 1899 after McKinley's vice president suddenly died at, uh, he was only 52 years old oh. so he was uh, he was forced onto McKinley Theodore Roosevelt and then McKinley was assassinated by an anarchist red communist hmm. and, uh, and and lo and behold Theodore Roosevelt who would never have been electable uh, was president and did enormous damage to this country um, so he, he was I, the... I, I believe that was a double a double assassination. I think the vice president yeah. was probably poisoned, and then McKinley was uh, shot at point blank. Yeah, and didn't he? Now let me get this right. Uh, he was the uncle of FDR. Is that correct? He was the uncle of Eleanor Roosevelt, oh. and he would have been a third cousin of Franklin Roosevelt. They, you know, they were all intermarried. Okay, I understand. Uh, yeah, yeah, but Eleanor was actually of the Roosevelt. Her, her last name was already Roosevelt when she married. Uh, but yeah, they're related. So I think he's, he's Eleanor's uncle. Would have been Franklin's. I don't know, second cousin, third cousin, something like that. But what? yeah, it was a dynasty family. Old money. You know, unaccomplished liars, spoiled brats, both dropped out of law school, never accomplished anything, went right into politics. Sounds uh, like the Obamas. They they both left their law practices, didn't they, because they were going to be uh, uh, charged with malpractice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and and it's in Obama's case, I don't believe he ever took a bar exam. No. And I, I do not believe that he attended Columbia University or Harvard. That was all, like, arranged... Uh, He's actually a professor at Columbia. He's 90 years old now, so he doesn't care. This is a liberal Democrat. He's saying it would have been impossible for him to come through Columbia and not have gone through my class. I don't remember him, and my colleagues don't remember him. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, this guy was... Arrangements were being made for him. Uh, I, I don't think they could have... Even if they could have pulled strings to get him into a school like Columbia and, and then later on Harvard... Uh, you know, intellectually, he doesn't have what it takes to finish a school like Columbia or a law program because he's lazy. He's always, he's, he's always he used to be a crackhead back in the day. Uh, 
I mean, he's really an untalented man. He's, he's a dummy. People think he's intelligent. I mean, because he has good diction, he appears to be articulate, but even that is exaggerated because, you know, he speaks in platitudes. He's reading off a teleprompter. Uh, and even when he appears to be speaking, uh, extemporaneously, he's, it, it's all, they know the questions in advance. So I, I remember years ago, I, I had an interview where a company he used to tell me whenever he interviewed people, he would always try to get them off balance because everybody comes in with canned answers. They sound great, you know. Uh, but that's Obama. I mean, this, this man is a zero. I don't think he has it in him to, uh, to finish a, a college curriculum. Uh, no. And then, of course, there's Michelle Obama, who I am mm. convinced is a, is a tranny. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's too much evidence. There's too many photos and videos and stuff that bulge there. And, the, and there was that great video. It was over 20 minutes long showing, you know, the differences between a man and a woman and how she possessed them all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then most telling of all, or at least the clincher for me, was the Joan Rivers comments yeah. that she made. And, uh, she's and, and she's a comedian, but she wasn't saying this no. in the context of a joke oh, I agree. or in anger. She was actually uh, in favor of it, praising it. So it was just uh, off the cuff remark. She says, oh, we all know. Well, what does she mean, we all? Certainly not me. No, Jews She all. means of her, her circle. Yeah, exactly. Her, so and that's, that's the out. That's the yeah. arrogance of it, Mike, because, oh, we all know. Well, who does we mean? Well, we means us Jewish elite. We all know. Uh, and this is, the, again, it goes back to the psychopathic nature of these people, that you can imagine them falling about laughing uh, at, at some party that they're having, just saying, we can't believe it. We've actually got the oh, yeah. American public to, to vote for a tranny. Uh, we, we, you know, oh, for, for yeah. a guy married to a tranny, we, you know... And, and they might, these, these top Rothschilds controlling all this money, they might have little bets with each other. See if you can pull this off and I'll, or what have you, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Trading uh, Places. It's yeah. Sort of like that, yeah. Uh, yeah, all, all to be a fly on the wall at, uh, at one of these big shot synagogues and, and hear the, the howls of laughter. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, they've, they've got to be laughing at, at, at what they got away with. Uh, I mean, they, they've installed a, uh, a, a tranny on us. It's a, a tranny and a communist homosexual who uh, did not finish college, has no law degree, uh, is born of a, uh, an American communist. He's not even a Kenyan. He might have been born in Kenya. I, I mean, the whole thing is such a uh, – it's such a script. And you know, to get away with it, it's got to be uh, – I would just, I just imagine it has to be a real turn on for them in a sick uh, kind of way. Yeah, I absolutely agree, and I think you know this is what we've got to see that's actually going on out there. It's, it's so ridiculous, society. The, the way that they get away with it is they do it all by gradualism. Of course, you know it's less than a year that we had the, um, about a year that we had the gay marriage passed, and suddenly we're talking about transgenderism. I mean, it's it, it, they, 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 their modus operandi is so blatant that they take one step after another after another and, you know, go back, we'll take prayer out of schools and now look at the state of the schools today. It's all a little process. You look at their protocols of the learned elders of Zion. It's like a script for what we're seeing happening today. Right. And we've got about just over a minute left, uh, Mike, a minute or two left. So I want to hand back to you to... Uh, you know, close out the show for me. 
All right. Well, I guess I'll close out as we began with a, a final plug for my uh, website, tomatobubble.com. And, I, you know, I don't say this, at least not completely, in a self-serving manner, but I, I really believe, believe uh, people need to bookmark uh, my, my website because uh, it's just one of the very few places you could go and and, and learned the uh, the inner workings of seemingly complex issues in such a quick and easy to understand manner. You will find it very useful. And thanks for having me on your show today. I hope and I hope your your some of your listeners become my readers, and vice versa. Absolutely, Mike, and thank you so much for joining me. You've got a fantastic site, some fantastic books, and they're very reasonably priced as well. So I really encourage people to get this knowledge, and also the fact that uh, Mike writes in a similar uh, brief fashion to me, but he also offers all these illustrations and such, which will make it a lot easier to read, and it breaks up the reading. And uh, so I highly recommend those. And uh, the articles as well so thank you for joining me mike thank you everyone for listening today and i'll be back with you all soon bye for now you have been listening to the andrew carrington hitchcock show on the Eurofolk radio network andrew's book the synagogue of satan is now available on his website andrewcarringtonhitchcock.com in an updated expanded and uncensored edition